Hello, my name is Reverend Seth Nelson, and I am the pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Ronan, Montana. Join in weekly to hear the good news of God's love proclaimed over your life. You can follow us on Podbean and iTunes. God bless you this day. Our gospel lesson for this morning comes from Mark, the 10th chapter. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children for the sake <clears throat> or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Here ends our gospel lesson. Please be seated. One more announcement I passed over. We are uh, thinking about adding a few songs and hymns to the guitar binder. So if there's, uh, if, if you've got any requests, it's not exactly like karaoke, but uh, we made them so we could add to it down the road. And there's a, there's a couple we're thinking about getting in there. So. If you have any you want, uh, you've either heard from the radio or other older hymns or things like that, just um, let us know and we'll try to, try to get them in there. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When I was young, I think when I was about Otto's age, around six, I desperately wanted a Super Soaker 50 squirt gun. Now, looking around, I'm gonna assume that not many of you were children in the 90s. So let me explain to you the wonder of Super Soakers. 
You're probably familiar with your standard fare, sold at the grocery store squirt guns that spray out a very limited amount of water with each pull of the trigger. These, these squirt guns are all fun and well and good in their own right. But their ability to douse one's friends down the street is limited. Super soakers, by contrast, were like the M16s of children's water toys. They came with large tanks and pumps to build up extra pressure and make sure that their young shooters felt cool. All, all complete with spray nozzles that were capable of annihilating one's friends with watery destruction. Hence the name, Super Soakers. As with many things I wanted growing up, my friends got these bigger and badder squirt guns before I did. And I was jealous. <laughs> I just knew that my life would be complete if I got one of these weapons of mass hydration. I was just sure that my life would forever be lacking if I did not. Well, eventually the day came. And I finally got my very own super soaker as a birthday present. I had made it, guys. I was in the big leagues and can now hold my own against my friends in the neighborhood. It was glorious. Well, it was glorious for a time. For all the glory of that moment, time moved on. After several dozen water fights, new models of super soakers coming out, which were even more impressive than mine, and getting a few years older myself, my weapon of mass hydration eventually did not seem so spectacular anymore. I'd once thought that I was destitute without this water toy, and conversely, that I was rich as could be when I obtained my very own. But that sense of richness was fleeting. My toy water gun was a thing of great value and importance in my younger years, but the importance and value I placed on it waned as my place in the world changed. I once thought that I had it made in the world because I had this plastic toy that was probably made in China. But it eventually just became a piece of plastic that I was no longer really interested in anymore. So it goes with many of the possessions we place value on in this world. Our gospel passage for this week has a lot to say about wealth and has some pretty stark, world, words, pretty stark words about its place in our spiritual lives. Though the wealth in question was probably far greater and longer lasting than my Super Soaker 50. Questions surrounding the value we place on our possessions and the value we put on our faithful relationship with God are surprisingly similar. What we prioritize and place first in our lives is very significant to our walk with God. <clears throat> now Jesus said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. This verse stuck out to me in new ways this week. In fact, you know, these verse, uh, you know that a verse grabs my attention when I feel I have to look it up in the original Greek to verify that it was translated right. 
or just to see if the original says something slightly different. Translating the Bible is work that can incorporate theological assumptions and biases of the translator, however so slightly. So discerning the original words is important work in order to look behind what we read in English. What did I find so fascinating that I would look to a dead language for answers this week? Jesus does not say how hard it will be for those, uh, how hard it will be for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. But instead, in Mark, he says, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this is a slight and subtle distinction, but it is a significant one. I'm happy to report that how it has been translated in English is just as we find it in the original Greek. Good job, translators, the new revised standard version of the Bible. So why does this distinction matter? After all, if someone is rich, they must also have wealth, right? And if one has wealth, aren't they also rich? Well, yes and yes. Having wealth and being rich do go hand in hand for sure. But how we talk about one another matters. And how our Messiah speaks of us matters even more. There are several words in ancient Greek to describe wealthy people by what they own. But Jesus does not actually identify the rich man with his money here. Instead, he separates the possession from the person by saying, those who have wealth. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus speaks about the difficulty of the rich entering the kingdom of God. But in Mark and Luke, our Gospel writers seem to intentionally separate the wealthy persons from the things that they own. It would seem that Jesus is subtly telling us that a person is a person, no matter how poor or how rich. Now this is significant because Jesus tells us that the wealth that wealth serves as an obstacle between the rich man who came to him and the kingdom of God he is calling us to. The rich man was perfect in every sense of the law. He did not kill, he did not commit adultery, he did not steal, lie or defraud anyone. And he always honored his father and mother. At least that's what he said. <laughs> I sometimes wonder if this guy's parents would tell a different story of how much they felt honored by him. That's a question for another day. So, Jesus continued by saying that he lacked the one thing. He was to sell all of his possessions, give them money to the poor, and follow Jesus, trusting that his treasure in heaven was secure. This, this the rich man could not do, for he had a great many possessions that he was unwilling to part with. When push came to shove, he preferred his possessions over his faith, and he could not envision living righteously without the power, privilege, and material security that kept him fed and happy so that he did not have to lie, steal, or do other sinful things to get by. 
How fortunate for his place in the world. How unfortunate for his place in the kingdom of God. It is easy to see our righteousness as perfect when our circumstances are perfect. It is much harder to see the perfection of God in the imperfect and the poor. But that is why Jesus' ministry was so destabilizing then and why it still challenges us today. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Is Jesus, giving a, is Jesus giving us a universal command that we all sell what we own, give the proceeds to the poor, and become destitute for the sake of the kingdom of God? Not really. I mean, if God calls you to such a life, it is my hope that you will take the call to Christian discipleship seriously and go where God leads. You never know. You might end up in Ronan. Right, Jen? <laughs> That's poor attempt at humor. <laughs> Still, Jesus' invitation to this man is not really a command for everyone else who wants to be perfect in the eyes of the Messiah. Rather than a command for, a, for righteous living, this story served to encourage the disciples who had left house and home to follow this man from Nazareth. As well as, the story serves to continue to teach us that any sense of wealth, power, or greatness in the world all pale in comparison with the riches of the kingdom of God. For the disciples, they probably viewed this man, this man who had many many possessions, with great envy when he arrived. He likely wore fine clothes, spoke articulate words, and had well-disciplined manners. They, after all, were poor fishermen and even tax collectors. But this man was wealthy in the eyes of the world and righteous in the eyes of the temple. Yet, Jesus encouraged his disciples to, who watched this scene unfold by shaming the man who had great wealth for his unwillingness to part with his possessions, promising them that their rewards would be great for all that they had sacrificed to join in the mission, and upending the wisdom of his day by saying, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. They had left everything to follow the Lord's lead. But Jesus was promising them that they would be rewarded for their faithful service, while many whom the world considers great will end up last in the end. Well, the story also teaches us that all the things we strive to earn in this world are of little worth when compared with the heavenly treasure that is shared with us by the grace of God, even though it can be far more difficult for, for us to let go of our earthly trinkets than to trust that there are rewards waiting for us in the great beyond. I know that I worry about budgets and bank statements, taxes and insurance, car payments and credit card statements, 
<clears throat> just as much as I once worried about my getting a Super Soaker 50. And I worry about these financial matters just as much or more than the next person. It is natural to feel insecure when our material needs are not met. And just as natural to stress about holding on to any assets that we own so that we can maintain a sense of security in our lives. Yet, Jesus challenges us to trust that true security comes from God and from God alone. No matter how many millions we can acquire, we cannot pay our way out of our own mortality. Rich and poor alike suffer from the same illnesses like cancer or COVID-19. While poverty makes people more susceptible to many of these risks, the wealthy die in the end, just the same as the poor. The wealth that we acquire only keeps us from feeling secure, only keeps us feeling secure for a moment. In the end, the treasures of heaven are the only sorts of wealth that we will have left. Treasure that will keep us safe and secure for all eternity. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I hope that you have enjoyed this week's sermon podcast. If you would like to hear more, read my blog, or get a copy of my book called The Church Unknown, go to www.revsethnelson.com. If you feel called to support our ministry, I invite you to go to our church's website at flcronan.org and click on the Offerings tab. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Thank you.